So Jesus is talking to his disciples. He's kind of turned away from the crowds at the moment um, when he says that I've come to bring fire and I wish that it had even been kindled. And uh, fire, as it turns out, is a really dangerous metaphor. Uh, And it's tricky because fire can mean a lot of different things. Fire can refine. Like in the case of like metal working and stuff like that, fire has a tendency to burn off everything that is not the metal that the metal worker wants to use. Uh, Fire can be consuming. It kind of goes through and just destroys and consumes everything around. Uh, Fire can also show what uh, things are made of based on how they burn. Fire in uh, the ancient world or in the the minds and worldview of uh, Jesus' audience can also be used to signify sacred space or really the presence of God. Uh, So that raises a big question. When Jesus said he came to bring fire, what did he mean? I don't know. Fire can also mean like passion, like I have a burning passion in my heart or something like that. Um, now, if, for what it's worth, I've, I think we've lived here like six months-ish um, in, in New Mexico, and I've learned that fire, or like that, that sense of burning passion can also just mean that the chili was way too spicy. Um, I was in that place yesterday. It's not fun. Uh, I'm pretty sure Jesus doesn't mean that last one. But I, I, think, I, I, I think it's a combination maybe of all of those. Um, that what Jesus is doing is going to kind of show what is really going on. It's an uncovering. Um, the Bible would actually call that an apocalypse. Like it, it's demonstrating what is really, really real. And there's a sense of urgency in Jesus' words. And uh, this section of the book of Luke uh, is, is very particular about showing senses of urgency at different times. See, in Luke 9, uh, Jesus sets his face toward Jerusalem. And the instant he does that, as he goes to travel with his disciples and whoever wants to follow, excuse me, follow, um, the instant that starts, there is a clock that is ticking. We don't know exactly how long that clock ticked. Uh, could be anywhere from like a couple of weeks to about six months. But that once that clock is done ticking, Jesus dies. And he knows he's going to die. And so he has a sense of urgency to impart and accomplish everything that God had sent him to do. And we see that coming out here. Because the next thing he says is, I have a baptism to be baptized with, and I'm really stressed out until that is over. That's, that doesn't mean he's going to get dunked in the water. He's already had that. That's kind of what started the whole thing with John the Baptist. He's referring to his death, his suffering, his torture, and then his expiration. That would stress me out too. Jesus is fully God. 
He's fully man, which is a man. He feels fully man feelings. And death is scary. Imminent torture is terrifying. And so you can kind of see in Jesus' mind, he's linked those two things. Now, as he's been traveling around, Jesus has been teaching, he's been performing miracles, uh, he's, he's essentially showing people what it looks like if God were actually in charge around here, what he comes to call the kingdom of God. He's also been going around disappointing people. <clears throat> disappointing people because they, they get like this sense that Jesus may actually be the one that they've been waiting for for a long, long time. And yet he's not doing all the things that they wanted him to do. He, he's not a conquering hero. He's not building an army. He's not preparing for war to win Israel her freedom. He's not doing the things that a lot of people just assume that Messiah or the Christ would do. But in his mind, he is waiting for that fiery moment. We'll get to that in a minute. And he has this collision course with religious authority in the temple in Jerusalem in mind. That's why he then says, like, look, and again, this is to his disciples. This is an internal uh, conversation. He says, don't think that I've come to bring peace. Which is weird to me because at Christmas time, we always say, he's the prince of peace. <laughs> Well, unfortunately, there are a lot of opinions about who Jesus should be. Just like there are a lot of opinions today about who God is and what that means. Or as somebody once put it, a lot of people want to serve God, they just want to do so as advisory. Which, you know, I resemble that. <laughs> And so Jesus is trying to prepare his disciples for what's going to happen. Once this baptism of Jesus really gets going, it's like, look, I'm going to be device, a divisive figure. Father against son, mother against daughter, conflict among the in-laws. That's pretty heavy stuff. This is a culture that, that, whose basic unit is the family, much more so than our culture. Even our culture in like the 1950s, that idyllic time of leave it to beaver, that, we don't ha we, we have, that we've got nothing on the first century. Like you don't say the things that Jesus is saying about family. Now, Jesus will often say something like this um, really as a comparative um, as a, a metaphor. So there's no excuse for on the way home, say, see, honey, Jesus said I can hate my mother-in-law. Ha ha. Um, that was a joke. And also, it's not true. My mother-in-law watches this live stream. <laughs> and I love her. 
Um, but the reality that is coming, this kingdom of God thing that Jesus is beginning, he's saying it's going to be tricky. It's not going to be what you think it is. God is doing something different. And realize there's going to be a lot of people that don't understand it. The irony there is that his disciples, generally speaking, don't get it either for a while. Hold that thought too. It's related to the fire thought. And then Jesus turns to the crowds he kind of calls them out, saying, look, you can look at the sky and tell me if it's going to rain. Which I've learned now in the middle of monsoon season, no, we can't. <laughs> because weather reports here are just dartboards, but whatever. Um, but he's saying, look, you guys can read the signs that way. But do you see the moment that's coming? You've seen the things that I've done. You've seen the way I talked. Are you going to answer that wake-up call? See, the interesting thing, um, just kind of in like the academic study of Jesus even amongst people who have no religious commitments, which I, may, I, I realize may sound odd, um, people who do not buy into any of the divine stuff associated with Jesus, even they, at least recently, have started to recognize that Jesus had to have been seen as a miracle worker. Something happened. Again, that's the most skeptical side. I'll be more our side for saying, like, well, yeah, it's, he performed miracles. Uh, He's saying, like, look, you've seen amazing things that are really hard to explain. You've heard me talk in ways that probably brought a little life to your heart, but also terrified you. Are you going to follow me? Regardless of what that means, will you answer this wake-up call? And wake-up calls for us can be very hard to answer. These are the, the things, the signs, the moments in our life that say, hey, maybe things aren't okay. Maybe this path that I'm on is not the path that I need to be on. Maybe something here needs to change desperately and it needs to change now. Um, as a pastor, I walk with people through all kinds of different situations, sometimes of their own making, sometimes very much not. Um, back in California, and I'm going to fuzz a whole bunch of details, not that anybody here would know uh, who I'm talking about or anything like that, but just for the sake of anonymity and all of that, um, I remember sitting with somebody who uh, they, uh, they like to drink a lot. Um, and, you know, I'm not against alcohol. I'm Lutheran. We drink in church. Um, <laughs> but they, they, they were explaining uh, to me that 
that they, they found themselves in a situation, they were at home, and through kind of, a, again, a complicated series of events, and I'm leaving out and changing all kinds of details, uh, they realized that they, they weren't going to be able to get something to drink that night. And when they had that realization, something broke in them. Like they were devastated because they weren't going to be able to have something to drink. That was a wake-up call. And they, had to, they, they realized from that moment they could never go back. And I was so proud of that person. They answered that wake-up call. They, they saw the signs in the skies. They read the situation like Jesus was saying. They realized, whoa, I need to back off. I've also walked with and know many people who have had loads of wake-up calls that, hey, maybe you should stop. Hey, there are consequences if you drink like that and, and so on and so forth. And they've ignored it. And things continue down a kind of familiar path. These wake-up calls, I think, are not common. But as we go through life, there will be times when situations, when people, or really when the Holy Spirit comes to us and says, whispers, you sure you want to keep going that way? You sure that's how you want to be in that relationship? You sure you want to let them keep walking all over you like that? And it's kind of up to us to listen. Excuse me. It's up, up to us to listen. And in wisdom and in prayer, take a step back and say, no, <laughs> That's not how I want to be. That's not who God has called me to be. This is not what I want. And every single time, even though it may be tough, there is greater freedom on that other side. And it is a good thing. Now, I've made comments, again, about that fire. Um, how Jesus is kind of waiting to go through this, this uh, horrible, torturous event, uh, what he calls his baptism. And, and it has, seems to have something to do with this fire. And that's because after Jesus is out the other side, so he has gone to his death, some of his disciples witnessed his torture, uh, one in particular, John. And then Jesus walked out of that tomb three days later. He says to his disciples, wait, you ain't seen nothing yet. Well, that last part I made up, but you know. And then 50 days later, they're in Jerusalem. They are praying. And what comes out of the sky and falling onto each of them? Fire which marks them as sacred space, place where the divine dwells, God's own presence. Talking about a wake-up call, and they answer it. And that is traditionally the day that the church is born. 
And here we are 2,000 years later doing the kinds of things that they did. Now, this could be heard, this whole message, as a very guilt-heavy sermon. A wake-up call like, hey, there are, are things about your life that need to change. That's, that's, that shouldn't be a shock. <laughs> the things about all of us that, that need to change. But when God's Spirit, through tongues of fire, came on his disciples, when God's Spirit comes down to us, when we receive God's Spirit, when we are baptized, when we receive faith, we become part of a different story. That, that those things swirling around in our hearts, that darkness, those things that tend to call us at midnight and, and, and demand that we wake up, those things that smack us in the head, those, things that, that, those habits that we've developed that turn into something much different, those ways of being, ways of thinking, ways of believing that are actually super destructive, those wrong horses we've hitched ourselves to, all of that no longer defines who we are. And instead, our primary identification, who we really are truly, are people who are marked out by the very presence of God as divine space. Followers of this Jesus who, was, who willingly went to his baptism for you who has given us his spirit for our sake, a spirit that will whisper to us, to guide us, to wake us up when need be, but who ultimately defines us. You are the forgiven, redeemed children of the Most High God who created the heavens and the earth and sent his only Son to die. That's, a, that's something worth waking up to. I invite you to rise as you are able.